0: Welcome back to Shrinking It Down: Mental Health Made Simple. Uh, I'm Gene Baresin from the Clay Center for Young Healthy Minds, and we have a special guest, uh, co-host uh, Stuart Avalon, who's executive director of Think Kids at Massachusetts General Hospital. Uh, Stuart, can you tell us a little bit about Think Kids, just just to begin?
1: Sure. And first of all, thanks for having me, Gene. It's always nice to have a chance to talk with you. Um, So Think Kids, as you mentioned, is a program in the Department of Psychiatry at Mass General Hospital, where we specialize in helping kids and adolescents with challenging behavior. And we work with parents, we work with teachers, um, we work in all kinds of settings, uh, providing people support in helping address challenging behavior.
0: Yeah, and we've had you on our podcast before, for those who are listening, uh, after you came out with your book, Changeable. Right. And you and you and Steve Slosman and I talked a little bit about that. Uh, so as we usually begin, um, let's talk a little bit about what the last week has been like for each of us. So what's it been like for you?
1: Well, this is a... Um, uh... Wild, sad, and traumatic week. Honestly, Gene. Um, you know, I, I'm very fortunate that um, my family and I have been uh, spared, you know, personal anguish as a result of COVID, which obviously uh, drags on despite all the heroic efforts uh, from folks at Mass General and other places. But you know, just in the past few days, my thoughts are consumed, as I'm sure yours are, uh, by other events and the murder senseless death of, um, Mr. Floyd. And, um, I have to say just, you know, um, my thoughts are with all of my, uh, colleagues and the, the parents and, uh, teachers and others with whom I work of color, who I, I personally, um, can't fathom what they're experiencing right now. And I, uh, you know, stand united with them, but, um, horrified and saddened.
0: Yeah, well, obviously uh, it's affecting all of us. I, I had the same the same uh, response for the, over the last week. It's been it's been just shocking. Uh, but you know, in some ways, it's not as shocking as when I reflect on the history of our country and what's been happening. And I won't get too political here, but um, racism, uh, bigotry, prejudice, discrimination has been a part of our heritage. Uh, forever since the founding of this country, and um, I think I think as as we'll talk about, you know, under challenging times, the worst comes out. Uh, it's been fueled by certain forces that we're not talking about today, but um, it's there, you know. And as 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 you know, helping kids uh, and adults with uh, challenging behaviors, uh, the worst comes out in the hardest of times, and. Whether it's COVID or unemployment, but it, it it tends to reveal all of the disparities and kind of the darker side of of our lives, and and it just makes me sad and terribly upset to kind of like see this expressed. So,
1: yeah, you know, I think I think uh, we talk a lot about the impact of chronic stress and trauma on people and people's ability to manage challenges, and obviously, right now in COVID, you know, this this era, um, there's heightened stress for so many people. But before this, I, you know, I talked a lot about how um, our kids of color, students of color in our schools are exposed to the chronic toxic stress of racism on a daily basis. And one of the things we know about being exposed to chronic stress is that it depletes you and it makes it hard for you also to be able to access all of the good skills that you have, and so uh, you know, I think right now we're seeing sort of a perfect storm of where um, people are having an extraordinarily hard time managing things, and with very good reason.
0: Yeah. So, given that there are multiple factors that are coming to play um, in creating uh, difficult, toxic, stressful, toxic, toxic, stressful time for for kids and for parents. Um, uh, what have you seen in terms of how this plays itself out in terms of uh, challenging behavior in kids, um, and um, during this era of COVID, and now with multiple other sources of stress? What, what, what do right. you see? What do you what do you see happening?
1: Well, you know, I think, first of all, you know, a big part of our work is helping people understand why kids exhibit challenging behavior in the first place. And, uh, you know, we work with kids who exhibit very challenging behavior in the best of times. Uh, And what we try to help people see is that uh, you know, the conventional wisdom around these kids is wrong, that these kids are behaving poorly on purpose uh, in order to get things, avoid things. That That's just, it's been disproven. It's wrong. And we have decades of research in the neurosciences that have shown us that what these kids lack is not the will to behave well. What they lack are the skills to behave well, and particularly skills like flexibility, frustration tolerance, problem solving, And if you think about those skills, and these are kids who struggle with those skills in the first place, those are exactly the skills that are most in demand right now. We are being asked to be much more flexible than we've ever been for most of us in our lives. You know, I've been alive a half a century. This is the most flexible I have been asked to be. I have had to apply more problem solving skills than I had, and I've had to tolerate more frustration. And I've been largely spared from this personally. So, families that have been really affected, uh, you know, with health, with, with uh, financially, they their skills are basically being overwhelmed. I mean, you, what I see is I see kids who were behaving fine who aren't behaving fine now because their skills were decent, but now the demands for those skills are much higher. And then kids who struggled with those skills, whoa, look out, um, because they struggled when life was throwing them normal demands. Uh, So now the demands are far exceeding their capabilities. And so you see an extraordinary amount of challenging behavior, then couple that with everybody cooped up and spending all this time alongside each other without kids in school. Uh, Wow. Again, the perfect storm.
0: Right. So, so uh, let me ask you the perfect question, uh, which is always more difficult than it sounds, but so what can parents and caregivers do to help kids um, you know, uh, control uh, challenging uh, behavior, and when I say challenging behavior, I know you've talked about this before. It's not just the kids who are in your face, defiant, and oppositional, and aggressive, but it's also the kids who will turn inward and be withdrawn and and uh, and are hard to reach. So we're really right. talking. We're not just talking about aggression here. We're talking right. about withdrawal, avoidance, isolation. Uh, so called. You got it were turned inside. So yeah, what,
1: and in, in, in this day of remote learning also, that means just not gauging also, uh, you know, just sort of uh, dropping off the face of the earth when it comes to their schoolwork or any participation. Yes. Yeah. So what can parents do? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there, there is, especially in the beginning of this, there was so much talk out there about exactly how to talk to your kids about coronavirus and how to establish all of these new expectations and set up these new schedules and things like that. And I gotta say, I, the thing I thought was missing from this was participation from the kids. So there all this talk about how to talk about coronavirus, what there wasn't is talk about how to listen. And one of the big things that we need to do is we need to understand what's going on for our kids and then we'll know how to help them. There's no one, uh, one size fits all. So. Uh, You know, I I encourage parents, first and foremost, to do a lot of listening and less talking. Uh, And you'll be surprised also. The things you think a kid may be worrying about, they may not be worrying about. The things you didn't think they would, they are worrying about. So listening hard, asking a lot of questions. If your kid isn't particularly communicative, take some educated guesses and just listen. And it sounds so easy, but (laughs) we adults have a really hard time listening without ending up Delivering some lecture or sermon. And uh, listening means being patient, waiting, reflecting what you've heard, and asking a lot of questions. So that's the first thing I'd suggest.
0: And coming back, right? So it it doesn't just happen in one fell swoop, right? I mean, it's not (laughs) one
1: conversation. Correct. Right. Um, And then, you know, another thing I'd suggest, and don't worry, I'll get to some more practical things too, but another thing I would suggest is being mindful of one's mindset remember that nobody's behaving badly on purpose during this time. Even the best of our skills goes out the window under stress like this. And if you are feeling like somebody's doing this on purpose, what it does is it, it gets you more frustrated, or to use fancy language, dysregulated. And the more you get dysregulated, the more your kid gets dysregulated and you're off to the races. So to state something very obvious, it's mostly about us adults staying calm And the starting point for staying calm is remembering that your kid's doing the best they can under these circumstances. And our job is to try to help. Now, a few other things I would say. Um, I would say before you go off establishing all these new expectations and routines and things like this, invite your kid to come to the table and collaborate. Because if a kid's a co-author of what the day is going to look like, you know, you're worried about, are they going to exercise? Are they ever going to turn off their phone? Are they going to go to bed before 4 a.m. when they don't have to be up anytime the next day? Um, don't just sort of pronounce what's going to happen. Invite them in, sharing what you're worried about, but ask them to be co-authors. And the more they are, the more ownership they'll take, um, you know, the more invested in it they'll be. And if it doesn't go well, well, then you're in it together. Trying to tweak it and come up with something else. So I think you know, don't forget to collaborate. Invite your kids to the table.
0: So let me let me uh, ask you a challenging question. So what happens (laughs) if your kids don't want to play ball with you? What happens if they basically say, "Oh, you know, uh, you you tell them just tell me what to do," or they don't say anything? How how do you engage them? How do you encourage them? How do you let them know that they can um, that they can trust you, particularly if you haven't done this very much in the past.
1: (laughs) Well, and so let's be clear, if you haven't done it very much in the past and you're just doing it now, they can't trust you yet, to be honest. So there's no magic where it's like, you're gonna make them trust you because they have very good reason. They see this track record for a long time. And so when you try something else, they're thinking, you know, what podcast did you just listen to? And what are you trying now? (laughs) So it's, it's understandable that they're going to be skeptical. What I tell parents to do is be transparent about that what that looks like is say, you know what, I don't blame you for not seeming too eager to talk with me about these things, because you're probably thinking that I'm just going to try to make you do what I want you to do. And if you don't do it, I'm going to take something away or punish you. So I don't blame you. I am trying to do this a bit differently. And let me explain what I'm trying to do. And you can tell me, tell me if I'm not getting it right here, but I'm really trying to do something different. And then what I tell parents is, let a kid know, You want to listen to them first. You want to hear their perspective, their point of view, what they're worried about, what they're concerned about. And after you have a good sense of where they're coming from, you are going to ask them to hear where you're coming from. You're not going to impose a solution, but you're going to let them know where you're coming from. And then you're going to invite them in to try to brainstorm some solutions that would work for both of you. And so it can be a very transparent process that you can ask a kid to call you on if you depart from the script. So, so what? What you're also
0: saying is have them uh, interview you. Have them ask you questions about what what you're
1: going through, or what or why you're doing this now. Or like, why now? Like, yeah. And I, I wouldn't expect most kids to be too eager to do that. Um, so I think we're going to have to take the initiative to put our point of view on the table. But one of the things I tell parents is think about your point of view before the conversation, so you can keep it short and sweet. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you can express whatever concerns you have about a given situation succinctly if you prepare. And and that's probably a big uh, other take-home message here is when people are hearing my my suggestions here, let me be clear. I'm not suggesting that you do this stuff when you're right in the middle of some challenging episode or you're right in the middle of trying to get a kid to do something that they've just refused to do. No, you got to do this proactively. And so You know, uh, the first thing perhaps to do as parents is to say to ourselves, all right, what isn't going so well? What are we worried about here? What are the problems we'd like to solve? Make a list of those. You can't solve them all at once. Pick one to start with. Don't make it the hardest one to start with and try to address it proactively, which means catch your kid when they're calm, they're accessible, they're not stressed, and you're not asking them to do something and try to have this conversation then.
0: Mm -hmm. So, uh, what happens when the parents are Um, exhibiting challenging behavior because we're not perfect and we have our own meltdowns and the kids might turn around and say well geez you're asking me to do x y or z but look at you i mean you're having explosions you're fighting with each other you're like you know you're you're getting into arguments you're like like why should i behave differently when i don't see it coming coming at me
1: right well you know first of all i would say to us parents out there i got three of my own, is. Uh, the same empathy we want to have for our kids, we need to have for ourselves. So like, you know, we have it, think kids, we have this mantra, kids do well if they can, which is meant to say, if a kid could do well, they would do well. Uh, You know, it's it's not kids do well if they want to, we just got to make them want to. It's kids do well if they can, they all want to do well. Well, guess what? Let's remember the same is true with us. Parents do well if they can. None of us parents (laughs) want to have things going awry in our home, feel like a bad or ineffective parent. We, too, are doing the best we can to handle challenging situations. So we've got to have some empathy for ourselves. And if you're in a two-parent household, for your co-parent, you know, have some empathy for each other and some patience with each other. But if a kid, you know, is calling you out on your bad behavior (laughs) and it's accurate, well, guess what? (laughs) Don't downplay it. Own it yeah, I'm feeling really stressed and here's the things that are going on for me and I'm sorry if that's something that's coming out in a way that's hard for you. Now, what I always tell parents is apologies are great, um, but the proof's in the pudding. (laughs) So if you're going to apologize, then make sure you're going to try to take some new action as well. And what I'm saying is, look, maybe you just lost it completely with your kid. You, You know, you can't go back and undo that but you can not apologize after and then try to make it right. And how do you make it right? What did you blow up around? What was it? Is that issue going to recur? Well, then let's have a proactive problem-solving conversation together with your kid where you start by listening hard to them. And it doesn't end with you imposing your will, but instead it ends with you inviting the kid to come up with some solutions together. So by well. the way, uh, sorry, Gene, I, you know, one of the things I'm aware of as I'm telling is I'm giving this advice, and maybe people who are like, you know, I invite my kid to problem solve. Like, what is this guy talking about? He's, he's clearly never been to my home. I, I, uh, I want to point out that what I'm describing is a clinical approach that we use in prisons, correctional facilities, residential treatment facilities, where we see dramatic results, so this is not some sort of, um, you know, uh, namby-pamby form of of parenting, kumbaya parenting that's uh, pie in the sky and not uh, sort of, you know, battle-tested, if you will. We know it works with the most challenging kids under the most challenging circumstances. So it's actually perfectly suited for what's going on in so many more homes right now. So, uh, you know,
0: I always get the questions from parents, um, Uh, should we be using rewards? Should we be using incentives? Should we be using, like, what's in it? What's in it for the kids to do the right thing? What's in it it for them?
1: Well, first of all, (laughs) if if what's in it for them is some reward, then what you're teaching your kid is that they should behave in order to get stuff. And one of the things that we know about that is if that's how you treat your kid, be prepared, because they're only going to do stuff, when you're dangling something in front of their nose, they, they, and not just they, adults do the same thing, are gonna try to get the stuff with little interest in achieving the actual goal you want them to, and you'll set up this dynamic that is based upon power and control, which is not the secret to parenting. So, you know, in short, I would say, try to stay away from luring your kid to do stuff with rewards and consequences. What's in it for them, believe it or not, is every kid, would prefer to have a solid relationship with their parent. And it's the number one thing that we know predicts good outcomes for people, is having helping relationships in their lives. And every kid wants that and thrives on it. And that's what we mean by kids do well if they can. If they could, they would. So I would discourage people, especially in a time of great stress like this, for using uh, power-based tools like rewards and consequences and instead use relational approaches that involve really trying to understand what's going on for your kid and help them with it which does not mean setting aside your parental objectives you can do it collaboratively and 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 i might add another
0: thing about the the relationship part of it you know what about doing things together i mean so you've said invite them into the conversation invite them into the collaboration but what about uh giving them the message that we're we're all in this together you know, as we say at the Clay Center, we can manage this. So how do we manage this together? I mean, do you recommend that you do things with kids besides just talking about things, uh,
1: fun things, enjoyable well, abso- things, playful <laughs> things? Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> let, let me be clear that if your only relationship building is by problem solving together, while this kind of collaborative problem <laughs> solving is great, you're still only working on problems, and that doesn't feel so good. So I think you bring it up a really important point, which is, Make sure you have opportunities just to connect and frankly, to play. Uh, And I mean, play at any age, uh, because that's where you can just be yourselves and connect. And if there's, you know, occasionally we see tiny little silver linings with uh, horrible misfortune that's going on right now. One of those things might be, you know what, occasionally we have more family time uh, than we used to before. And those are opportunities to um, be able to engage in ways that perhaps in our more frenetic days we weren't able to, so that, that's absolutely critical
0: and and, and another thing that's, that comes up particularly in in uh, families that are in, in close quarters that don't have much space um, you know a lot of uh, a lot of the movement of kids that's actually thwarted right now is getting autonomy separating having their own space uh, and we too as parents need our own space so what do you recommend besides just doing things together is how do, how do you negotiate having time and space to be on your own, to be alone during this time.
1: Right. Well, it's it's sort of a funny answer for that, because I think the way to negotiate time to be alone is by doing that collaboratively. (laughs) Um, (laughs) in, In other words, to discuss, I need some time to myself, and you may too. And how are we going to figure that out, especially since we're on top of each other and inside all these things. what do you think we could do together? Because then you can craft solutions that you know are going to work. Because otherwise you can come up with all kinds of ideas for how you can have your own alone time, but it might not uh, work well with others in your house. But it's absolutely critical. And, you know, there's all kinds of things we need to be doing to take care of ourselves right now. Uh, we, we need to be sure we're, you know, uh, we're watching our sleep hygiene, our sleep schedules and our eating and our exercise. Movement is critical. I mean, I mentioned being dysregulated earlier. One of the things that regulates us humans is, is you know, some repetitive rhythmic activity. And whether that's listening to music or going for a walk or a jog or something, these are things that uh, actually help to calm our brains and make it easier for us to access the smart part of our brain when we need it.
0: Yeah, I was just going to go back to that. You just answered my, my next question, which was you said parents have to stay calm in order to be able to do this. So, so it's really self-care uh, that is what we're talking about.
1: It is. It's, it's self-care and, and what I said earlier, which is mindset. Because you can do all the self-care in the world, but if you then your kid starts to engage in some challenging behavior and you think to yourself, there you go again that you little, you know what, making my life miserable and piling on because you know you like to push my buttons, very common phrase. Almost every adult assumes that kids like to push their buttons, which is actually not true, but people, it's sort of conventional wisdom. If you can avoid that mindset and instead embrace the mindset of kids do well if they can, he's doing the best he can that coupled with some self care can help you stay calm.
0: So let me let me take it to a, another level of complexity because this is what I've seen in my practice using the collaborative problem solving model. Sometimes the parents or caregivers are at odds with each other. Oh, yeah. They can't, they can't collaborate. And and one is on on the same page that you are with the kids and collaborative problem solving, solving and and the, and the other one is saying like all right, forget it. I don't I don't buy this, you know, this 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 is garbage or Uh, Oh, look, just you do it. And then you have a conflict. So what happens when you have parental conflict around this mission?
1: Well, so if one person is embracing this concept of collaborative problem solving and the other is not, we usually recommend that the person who is try to impose collaborative problem solving on the other parent. I'm being facetious. Um, That's a little sarcasm there, (laughs) making sure people are paying attention. No, uh, we don't recommend generally that you impose collaborative problem solving on people. We recommend that you treat your co-parent the same way, which is, you know what? If they're not jumping on board with this way of working things, they probably have a good reason. People do well if they can. What are you going to do? Sit down and listen hard to their perspective and then ask them to listen to yours and then invite them to come to the table and say, so how are we going to reconcile Because we got to figure out something that's going to work for the two of us. Now, generally, they might then look at you and be like, there you go, trying that collaborative problem-solving thing on me, right? And I I, I tell people, if someone accuses you of that, you can say, hey, wait a sec. You actually can't use collaborative problem-solving on someone. You have to do it with someone. And so, yes, if you mean I'm trying to collaborate with you and come up with solutions that work for the both of us, yes, that's what I'm doing. So, in other words, practice what you preach. Um, and try to apply it you know amongst yourselves, adult to adult collaborative problem solving. and keep the same mindset, right? Your co-parent would do well if they could. They're trying the best they can with you know what the world's thrown them, their skill set, their prior experience, uh, their training, et cetera. They're doing the best they can. Uh, we got to approach them with empathy and understanding as well. So are there other techniques that we haven't covered. Well, there's plenty of techniques. Uh, you know, one thing I, I, I think we sort of skipped by a little bit is in this time, uh, prioritization is super important. Hmm. So, you know, I mentioned if you've got like, you know, 10 chronic problems that are going on every day, you can't solve them all at once. Um, and so I said, you know, pick one and start with something easier. What do you do with all the rest of the stuff in the meantime? Some of it you're going to need to let go temporarily, not forever but there's some expectations you might drop in these weeks and months for now, you can come back to them later. And if parents are worried about, you know, are they losing control? Is this sort of kid running the show? If they drop something, I would say to the parent, not if you're the one deciding to drop it, not if you're making a strategic decision that this is less important right now, goes on the back burner. And I think that's really important to do. And then the other thing I would say globally is, um, As I mentioned before, you know, this time is requiring great flexibility from people. One thing we know about inflexibility, because you may have some inflexible kids in your home, in your classroom, you name it. If you pair inflexibility with inflexibility, (laughs) then you get a meltdown. Mm -hmm. So if you've got a kid who struggles with flexibility, and right now that inflexibility is really, really rearing its ugly head, it's up to us adults to try to be the ones to add in the flexibility. And if we don't, we know where it's gonna go
0: so uh one thing that uh you might uh, or listeners may want uh, is is resources. So mm-hmm. what resources are there out there that people can have access to? I mean uh we all have zoom fatigue but are <laughs> there but are there but are there uh are there places they can go online to actually yeah. understand this better or see some examples of this?
1: Yeah, well, and so I, again, one of the tiny silver linings of this whole thing is, you know, at Think Kids, we've been trying to reduce the, the barriers, the obstacles to, to people learning about and practicing our approach. And we for a long time thought there's all kinds of things we could do on the web that we should do. But we were, you know, taking our time doing it, getting all our ducks in a row, that all went out the window. And we've been able to move just about everything we do online. Um, And I'm super excited about it because what it means now is parents, if they need support, they can sign up for our remote parent training groups where they'll join other parents for eight weeks of learning and support. In managing challenging behavior, they'll learn our approach and get support to use it. So they can uh, avail themselves of that. We have um, introductory online trainings, um, and we also have um, uh, intensive trainings. We've, for a long time, been offering these intensive trainings that we just moved um, online. And so, uh, you know, th- those are things that are um, offered now virtually monthly that people can avail themselves of. And we've also been um, having regular live uh, what we call collaborative problem-solving chats where people can join us on Zoom um, live. It's, uh, the next one's June 16th. And uh, there's no cost. You join in and you can ask whatever questions you have and learn from other people's questions and get support. So there's a lot, um, I think, that uh, personally we're offering. And people can find that right on our website, which is thinkkids.org. T-H-I-N-K-K-I-D-S dot org. Um, and so I hope people will come visit us there and a whole bunch of other resources there too. That's great.
0: Um, and and uh, I, I guess um, uh, this is a marathon, not a sprint. I mean, even though we're because a lot of times people want to know or they'll say to me, well, this this collaborative problem solving is not working after like the first week or two. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, and I know it's I know every is different and every kid and family is different. But but what do you tell people when they when they want to see results? Yeah. How how can they how can they maintain hope in the yeah. face of challenging behavior and and a method that they haven't done before? What do you say to people about about timeframes?
1: Yeah, well, I think first of all you got to have some different goals in mind because when people say to me like, "Hey, I tried this collaborative problem solving thing; it doesn't work," I often say to them, "It depends on your definition of work. Do you mean that it didn't magically solve that problem and the behavior is erased? Okay, I get it." But you know what? There's a whole bunch of other goals we have, and we're going to reduce the challenging behavior. It might take some time, but we have relationship rebuilding or building. We have skills practice and training. And those things go on with every iteration of these conversations that you have. And then, you know, I also like to point to the data, which tell us, you know what, if you really do this, like for instance, if you learn this in eight weeks and really practice it, of you are going to say that your kid's behavior is very much or much improved. Uh, Now I'm speaking to parents in their homes. And there's all kinds of other data we can cite uh, in in terms of effectiveness. But, uh, you know, it's not magic. There's no magic out there. If anybody's trying to sell you magic, don't believe it. It takes time. And especially when you recognize that when people are struggling with their behavior, it's about skill, not will. And building skills doesn't happen in a single conversation. It, it takes some repetition,
0: right? Right. Because it reminds me of like learning how to play a musical instrument. I mean, you can't just you can't just be a virtuoso in, in short order. You got to start at the basics, and you got to work at it. And 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 it's exactly very, right. And it sounds stinky for a long time, but <laughs> but after a while, you know, yes. you kind of you kind
1: of say, "Hey, that doesn't sound so bad." Uh, No, I think it's a great analogy. And the only exception I would take is like, you're right in the beginning, and I can speak as a former child violinist who who, uh, bottomed out pretty quickly. It was ugly. Uh, You know, that's really hard to sit through. Uh, But even bad collaborative problem solving isn't so bad to sit through because there's a lot of empathy and efforts at understanding and connecting going on. And that never steers us wrong.
0: Well, it kind of reminds me of kind of like... uh, in my own family but in with other people too you start singing together and trying to harmonize with each other and at first it sounds like really bad (laughs) and it may even be it may even be too you know if you recorded it you may say like oh gee i thought that was great it sounds sounds terrible sounds terrible (laughs) but 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 the more you do it the more the more ease you get with it and the better it actually starts sounding and you kind of you know, find your groove.
1: Yes. And I would say, look, there's no such thing as perfection anyways, as uh, you know, parenting is messy and tough. So, uh, you know, practice does not make perfect, but practice makes better and easier here for sure. That's great. So, um, you
0: know, uh, I just would, to recommend to all of our listeners that they, uh, take a look at think kids and, um, and by the way, you're, you're, you're Ted, you, you did, you did a Ted talk, one thing, kids, that people can get online. And I think it's, you know, it's really terrific for them to kind of understand, you know, in 20 minutes, uh, what we have tried to do in this 20 minutes. Uh, It'll be a little different. Um, But um, before we end, uh, given the time we're in, I'd like to just ask you, like, what would you hope for in the next short order, in the next few
1: weeks? I would hope that... (laughs) as things hopefully start to improve some, that people remember the kind of empathy and support that so many have showed during this time, and try to practice that, even if life gets to a more stable place for people. Um, Because I think it's too easy to forget how important that is, and uh, as awful as things have been, we've seen tremendous moments of kindness and empathy, um, even you know heroic ones. And there's a lot more room for each of us to practice empathy and understanding during the course of our given days. And I would say, with the most recent events um, in our country, um, my goodness, is there tremendous room there. And so I, I hope we come out of this. Um, with more empathy for one another, and better ability to take take each other's perspectives into account, and place more value on um, those things in our relationships.
0: Yeah, and I would add to that because I was thinking very similarly um, that we use that newfound empathy to collaborate with each other in 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 a way which is which is different and productive, even if we have our differences and our. Different perspectives that we that we all can work together towards um, a common goal, and I I think everybody wants peace. Everybody wants freedom. Everybody wants success. Everybody wants to feel better about their lives. You know, regardless of of your point of view. So maybe out of that empathy, we can have some collaborative problem solving in our (laughs) Yeah,
1: no, I think that's well said. And I would remind people when I say empathy, I don't mean agreeing empathizing does not mean you have to agree with somebody it doesn't mean you have to disagree with them either it means you just have to try to understand where they're coming from and if we could practice more of that i think you're right gene we might be able to find ourselves better able to collaborate moving forward as as a country which is so sorely needed right now
0: yeah well i want to thank everybody for listening and and uh thank you for coming on this uh, uh show again and i hope you'll be back and um uh that that about wraps it up. So uh, well, thanks for listening, my, everybody.
1: <laughs> my, my pleasure, Gene. Thank you for having me. I always enjoy our conversations, and I hope they're helpful to people. So thanks so much.
0: I'm sure they will be. I'm Gene Bureson.
1: I'm Stuart Ablon.
0: We'll see you next time.